grow and apply the truth to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, open your Bibles, Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, Brother Tim will continue uh, our study. One of these days, I'll be up to us tag-teaming a little bit more, but I, I appreciate him doing the bulk, uh, so far, all of the teaching on this. Judges chapter 2, uh, it, it just dawned on me, I was having a conversation with Beverly, next Sunday is our, our Christmas program on Sunday night, the cantata. Boy, our choir and music people have just been working incessantly for the last couple of months. Uh, we had an invasion in our home last night uh, of uh, several families that came over. Uh, entire families are going to be singing next Sunday night. It will be a part of it. Uh, and it is, our, it is our big Christmas service. Um, and then the following Sunday, two weeks from today, is Christmas. I've bought two presents thus far. Um, I am so far behind the eight ball, so uh, Amazon, here I come, uh, that type of thing. Uh, and we will have service Christmas morning uh, at 11 o'clock. There will be no, no Sunday school that day, and there will be an 11 o'clock service, and then we'll have a service on Christmas night at 6 o'clock, and we got some special things planned uh, to make that unique. But uh, if you will, the big uh, Christmas program will be next Sunday evening. We have invitations uh, that look like this. You can't see them up close, but you'll, you'll recognize when you got there on, on the Lord's Supper table. If you have coworkers, friends, neighbors, now's a wonderful time to invite them. People will come to church on Christmas that maybe would never consider it at any other time of the year. Uh, so uh, I'm going to give one of these to my trainer when I see him tomorrow, uh, to Sam. Uh, so they're out there. Take as many as you want. We'll just keep printing them. Uh, and so forth. So we want you to have those. Please invite somebody to come. If your Bibles are ready, I'm going to step out of the way. Brother Tim, come teach us. And I actually have one more announcement, kind of more prayer request. We've got, uh, we're doing an in-school revival for the first time uh, starting tomorrow morning. So pray that the snow doesn't happen because our special speaker flies in at 1230 in the morning. And I'm the one that gets to go to the airport to get him. So pray that he gets here and just pray that God does something pretty amazing. Uh, I know it's an odd time of year to do that, um, but he was available and we just felt like this, it would be better to have someone come in and try to help our, our staff and our students in the junior high and high school now rather than waiting till later. And maybe this will, I know New Year's resolutions aren't necessarily the most Christian thing in the world, but... Starting off the new year on a right foot is a good way to go into a new year. So please pray that God does something amazing. Brother Jason Garner will be our special speaker. He'll be preaching Wednesday night in church. If you haven't heard him, he is absolutely phenomenal, one of my favorite people. So plan to be here Wednesday night. Judges chapter 2. We're going to kind of recap just for a moment, and then we're going to move into new stuff. Judges chapter 2. Very beginning here of the chapter, uh, verse 1, and the angel of the Lord came. And the angel of the Lord being, and we talked about this last week, this was a Christophany. This is Jesus himself shows up. And partially we know that because he actually takes credit for some things that the only person that could take credit for it is God. So he knows, hey, I did this, which means it's God. We also talked about the fact that God the Father is invisible to man, but Jesus is not. Because Literal thousands of people saw him during his lifetime, and thank God he's real, because if he wasn't real, we don't have a chance to go to heaven. So Jesus shows up and talks here, and what we got going into last week is everybody did what was right during this. We did also mention this, the very first six or seven verses here, 
This is kind of, if you will, a retrospective. If you want to mark verse 7, I actually have verse 7 marked in my Bible this way. Uh, Let's read that. It says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. That little chunk of that verse right there, that's chapter 1. We okay? That's literally chapter 1, kind of in a very brief little nutshell here. And this is where we're going to start moving forward who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. This is where we left off last week. The generation, this would have been in Israel's history, this was the greatest generation. We talked about that last week. These are the people that had uh, lived as slaves, got out of, they would have seen the plagues or at least vaguely remembered the plagues because most of them would have been fairly young. Um, They're the the ones that would have seen the Red Sea parted and crossed over that overnight. By the way, we, we, let me pause for just a split second. The Red Sea crossing, you do know the Bible doesn't directly tell us that only happened in one night because that's a lot of human beings to move. Um, And science actually tells us that that is possible. If you have a roughly 67 mile an hour wind going in exactly one direction for about 12 to 24 hours, it could have parted the Red Sea, which is just below hurricane level winds. And they had to walk about 20 miles or so across that. That would have been terrifying. We're so used to the the prince of Egypt where they walk by and they're like, oh, look, cool, a shark. That would have been terrifying. You're running for your lives because Pharaoh's coming behind you. There's hurricane-level winds and giant walls of water like, oh, my word, we're going to die. Just thought I'd throw that out there. We're all so human beings. I would have been terrified. Might have been the fastest 20-ish miles those people ever traveled in their lives. These are the same people that ate manna, saw the quails flying at waist height and below and got to eat them on a regular basis. You ever thought about that? That must have been a really fun time. There's a bunch of quails and you wham. <laughs> been like golfing for quails. That sounds just awesome. I hate golf, but I would do that. Right? Um, these are those people. They watched water come out of a rock. They watched the walls of Jericho fall. Of course they serve the Lord. Of course they serve the Lord. But then everything changes. Verses 8 and 9, Joshua's dead. This also happens in chapter 1 and at the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua dies at 110 and he's buried um, in his inheritance. And then verse 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers... So this whole generation, these are all the people, the elders that outlived Joshua, as the Bible tells us, the ones that did right, the ones that followed, going back to verse one of this chapter, the angel of the Lord's commands to inherit the land. These are the people that had done right. With some reasonable dates here, Joshua dies at about 110. We can reasonably state that this generation outlived Joshua by about 20 to 25 years, maybe a touch more on a handful of them. But for the most part, these people, think about it, the wilderness wanderings was 40 years. The oldest of that generation was how old? The ones that were able to actually go into the promised land, the oldest ones. They would have been about 60. Because remember, anybody 21 and over died during the wilderness wanderings due to their unbelief. So these guys are about 60. The conquering of Israel was about seven or so years, so they're 67. They're hitting retirement age. Joshua lived for probably another 10 to 12, maybe 20 years afterwards. 
these guys are in their 80s now. And if they outlive Joshua, they're pushing 100 plus. Are we okay? These guys are quite old and they're passing off the scene. And verse 10 changes. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. I have this written in my Bible. I've got one of those note taker Bibles. It's got all the lovely lines in it, mostly because I can't write in a straight line to save my life. And I have a little arrow written right for this section. And it, it, all I have is three simple words. Confusion kills kids. Confusion kills kids. The greatest generation in Israel's history. They'd seen possibly the most miraculous series of decades in the collective history of mankind. And they never passed that along. They never passed that along. Because look at this. And there arose another generation after them. This, this, is, this is direct generation gap. This is not a, it skipped a couple generations and here we are two, three generations later and people did wrong or didn't know. This is the one right after. Let's use American history. The greatest generation survived the Great Depression, fought World War II, and the generation after them despised America. Look at what happened during Korea and Vietnam and the hippie movement and drugs and Roe v. Wade and all that other junk that happened. We threw Bibles out of school and everything else because a generation after the greatest generation, it was the immediate following generation. We act like this stuff in the Bible is ancient history. History repeats itself, always repeats itself. I talked about this last week. The last true revival America saw was in the 70s with guys like John R. Rice and Jack Hiles and some of those others, and the generation immediately following that dropped the ball. Are we okay? This, this, this isn't just an ancient manuscript. It's a living book because God wrote it, and he wrote it telling us exactly, hey, you're going to have this problem unless you follow the example here. And in this case, do the opposite, okay? <clears throat> I was always taught, Good parents, I've always taught, you can either be an example of what to do or what not to do. And most of the time, think about throughout your own life, you have learned more from the people that taught you what not to do than the ones to do. Because usually the ones that teach you what not to do blow up in spectacular ways. This goes from a generation, like I said, that saw about five decades of possibly the most miraculous time period in all of human history. They had a rock that followed them around the desert for crying out loud. Come on. And all of a sudden, the next group doesn't even know who God is. That quickly. That's rapid. And here, from this point on, Judges goes the way we fully expect it to, because hopefully at this point in your life, you've read through the book of Judges at least once. And this is where all of the mess starts. Look at verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So they went from verse 10, not knowing the Lord, and they didn't know, and this is the important part, I think, in verse 10, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They never experienced God moving on the same level that their parents had. And because of that, verse 11, we can tell our kids till we're blue in the face that God is good, but until they experience it, 
it means nothing. We can tell them that God answers prayer, but until they experience it, it means nothing. Are we okay? I know that's a harsh statement, but it's true. I can vividly remember the very first time God answered one of my prayers. I was a little kid. We were in Hawksworth Apartments, kind of low-income housing. The neighbor across tried to kill her boyfriend about, what, once a month or so? You know, really great place to have a family. It was all we could do. And I remember mom sitting us down for breakfast, and we're going to pray for food. And mom, there's no food. It's okay. God will take care of it. And prayed, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for Sarah. Thank you for Anna. You know, your Christian school prayer, I was like six, okay? And thank you for the food we're about to eat. And a knock on the door, and this little old lady from downstairs, hey, I bought this cereal, and my husband thinks it's too sugary. Would your kids like it? And it was manna from heaven, cinnamon toast crunch. That is still the best cereal in the history of all mankind. I'm 37 and I can knock down a whole box in one sitting. Do you know why? Because, ha ha, it's great. That stuff's amazing. <clears throat> but God answered a prayer as I was praying it. And I knew all the stuff, even as a little kid, I knew all the stuff mom and dad were teach, was teaching us that that, that had to be real. Because that just doesn't happen. Especially when it's the stuff you like. And that's the cool part. God answers our prayers and sometimes he goes above and beyond and doesn't just give us what we need. He gives us the stuff we want and like because he's a good God. But this generation, I think, I, like I said, the very last phrase of verse 10 is the most important and the most telling. They didn't even know what God had done because they'd never, never experienced it. This is a generation, we gotta give them some, some credit here. This is a generation that grew up in the promised land. These are second generation Christians here. They grew up in the promised land. They never had to experience slavery. They never had to experience the traveling. They never had to experience hunger. They never had to experience thirst. They never had to experience any of that because they have only ever lived in the blessings of God. So they didn't know. And immediately they jumped into verse 11 and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And here's where this just takes this massive leap. They go from not knowing about God to literally serving other gods in a heartbeat, which is kind of incredible. Even for us, <clears throat> we can recognize there are parts of this directly apply to us. Like, okay, the, the greatest generation in America and then the generation that grew up in the 60s and 70s and the massive difference. Yeah, there's a direct correlation. But in our brains, we don't go from, oh, they serve the Lord to serving other gods, right? The, the revival of the 70s, the, the people that followed in the late 80s and early 90s, they didn't actually start bowing down to other gods. They just changed church to where God wouldn't show up anymore. Same problem. You realize what we're going to read here in the next few verses they're following the Lord because they still followed all the laws. But they changed church enough that God wouldn't show up and bless them anymore. In fact, he had to straight up curse them several times over and over and over again because they changed church. Kind of a weird thought there. Look at verse 12 with me. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. So verse 11 gives us one God named here. That's Balaam. Verse 12, we're finding out it's other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. Now, 
Going back to chapter one, their directive as Joshua became aged and nearing death and based on what the angel of the Lord had told them during Joshua's lifetime, what was their job? What was their full-time job? Drive out the inhabitants. These are the people that have other gods. Did they do the job? Not completely. Remember, Judah and Simeon met an enemy that they could not drive out, giving us indication that they tried, failed, and from that point forward, the other tribes kind of followed suit, and now, well, if we can't drive them out, what if we make them pay taxes? We can make some money off of them. Two, by the time we got to the end of chapter one, and we've covered this several times already, they're not having the people live amongst them. They are living amongst the people, meaning they're not changing the government. They're not changing the, the religion, nothing. They're just, they're hanging out. They decided, hey, their church looks more fun than ours. We're gonna actually veer off for a little bit here and talk about some of these gods for just a minute. Look at the tail end of verse 12, though. And bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And we're going to pause for just a minute. I actually did a whole series of Sunday school lessons. uh, This is five or six years ago called God of All Gods. And went through the whole Bible on all the different gods listed in your Bible. Okay, so far here, we have two listed. Baal or Balaam, same God. Slightly different change in name there. And Ashtaroth. Baal is the god of weather and nature. If you actually want to think about this, Baal was the god of agricultural success. So if he controls the weather, he controls your crop yield. Your crop yield is your money. He was the god of prosperity. Okay, now... This is going on. We understand this as 21st century Christians. We understand they're worshiping the uh, creation rather than the creator. And that's literally what they were doing. Baal was basically the sun god, okay? He was the god of the sun. That's typically how he was depicted in worship. Um, The the worship of him included most of the time uh, the idea of just offering sacrifice of whatever your crops were. Anybody know somewhere in the Bible where that failed miserably? Cain and Abel, remember Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice? Meaning he he did, Cain offered a sacrifice, but not the one he was looking for. That's, by the way, that's that's where, actually, if you do some study on history, Cain is where the worship of Baal started. Remember, Cain was sent out. God protected him and kept him from death, but he basically started an entire group of people that lived and practiced a faith that here is the downfall of the Israelites. The worship of Baal goes all the way back to Cain. You do realize outside of the worship of the one true God, that's the oldest form of religion in the world. So this wasn't new. This had been in this area. At this point in history, it had been in this area for millennia already the worship of the sun god. The Egyptians, by the way, had a similar god, which is why the children of Israel would have been familiar with it. They called him Ra, the sun god. The god, by the way, Ra stands for god of all gods. 
He is the father of the gods. Baal actually translates as two words, depending on the Canaanite language that it's translated in, as either husband or father. And part of the reason he's a lot of times translated as husband is because the husband is to take care of his family. And you are part of the family of Baal. And we're part of the family of God. Isn't there an old song that we sing like that? You, you do realize that pagan religions steal a lot from God. Let me say that again. Pagan religions steal from God, not the other way around. They steal from what God said, I am the one true God. Baal was the one head God. Close but not quite the same. Are we okay? So the Israelites are now a little interested. This is a group that, according to verse 11, knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done. These people don't know much about their God, so who are they immediately going to turn to? The most familiar God they've got, the sun God. Now, I'm not giving them excuses, but at least it's a logical step. Are we okay? Okay, they're, if they don't know God, they're going to step into the most closely related God they can. And if you actually go back and forth, secular history, ancient archaeology and history tells us that Baal and Yahweh should be considered the same. Because they're both considered the Father God. The problem is, only one of them's alive. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Because only one of them's got any lasting book. Where's the book of Baal? If he was such a good God, how come nobody worships him today? At least not in the same form. Anybody? Any takers? Any? Oh, okay, cool. By the way, there is actually one worshiper of Ra. One. It's an English lady that was visiting Egypt. She fell, got a concussion, and claimed that the god Ra came to her in a dream and told her to sell everything and worship the god. So she went back home to England, sold everything she had, and moved to Egypt and is now the sole worshiper of Ra in the world. Yeah, she's real lonely because that's weird, all right? Just thought I'd throw that out there. I, I, just don't listen to things that happen to you during concussions, okay? Probably not a great idea. Um, but Baal here. Baal's not the only one here listed. If we go to the bottom of verse 13, they served Baal and Ashtaroth. Read through your Bible. Um, Baal and Ashtaroth are actually combined quite frequently, sorry. Right? If Baal is considered the husband... Ashtaroth, or sometimes listed as Ashtoreth, or in other cases, Asherah. All three of those are listed, uh, all three of those names, and they're commonly the same goddess. She would be the wife. By the way, pay attention to the Catholic Church. They think Jesus had a wife. Show me in the Bible where he had a wife. I can't find one. But the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth tells you that God has a wife. Where do you think they got it? All the Catholic Church did was took ancient pagan religion and made it sound vaguely Christian. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Look at their saints. If you go through the history of all the saints, the saints in Central and South America are different than the saints in Europe, which are also different than the saints in Africa, because they're basically taking ancient gods and giving them Christian names. You can argue with me all you want. By the way, the <clears throat> there was also a female pope at one point in the mid-1500s. There's a three-and-a-half-year span of 
the Catholic Church's own history that they say that there's no pope. And if you actually study, you know, real history, there was a lady pope. She got all the way up to pope and then got pregnant. And everybody's like, oh, <laughs> oops. All right. Fun. By the way, she's the reason they started having to do a physical exam before you can become pope. Because obviously that became a problem. By the way, she'd served as a priest for like 35 years. How did nobody notice? Throwing that out there. Okay. All right. Ashtaroth, though, I'm going to try to be appropriate here, but Ashtaroth was the goddess of love, sex, and fertility. Her worship included a priestess who was also a prostitute and included ritualized sex as part of the worship. Is it any wonder why these people wanted to include this? Church is more fun when bad things happen like this. Not trying to be inappropriate, but think about that for a split second. Ashtaroth also took things a step farther. There's not very much indication throughout all of history, and that's Christian or secular, that the worship of Baal included human sacrifice. There's almost none. Ashtaroth included child sacrifice, the killing of babies. In fact, it also, in some instances, included the killing of unborn babies physically removing the baby from the mother's womb before it was born as a ritualized sacrifice, which in the ancient world always included death for the mother as well. Abortion's not a new thing. And it's always a horrific thing. And weirdly enough, it can be traced back to several ancient gods and goddesses. So we're gonna take just a moment and talk about some of the ancient gods just, just for a little bit. Okay? Understanding what they were, where they came from, and how, how their worship integrated kind of will explain the remainder of the book of Judges. Because Baal, Baal and Ashtaroth aren't the only two gods that the Israelites went after. And knowing some history and some information regarding that kind of helps some things set in place. Okay? We are still directly affected in today's world by some of these ancient gods and goddesses. All the days of the week are named after some form of god or goddess. Okay? We're here on Sunday. In uh, both the West and Northern Germanic uh, mythology, the sun was personified by Sol or Sunna. Sunday, the day of the sun god. Monday, the day of the moon, the moon god. We literally have all of these. Tuesday, two, uh, T-I-W, is a Norse god. By the way, they're almost all named after the Norse and Germanic tribes. I don't know where that came from. Our calendars from the Romans. Uh, our days of the week are from the Germans. We, we just kind of stole things from all over the place. And like, hey, that makes sense, okay? Our alphabet came from the ancient Phoenicians. Our numbers came from the Arabics. By the way, the Muslims did bring some good things to history, including modern dentistry. If you've ever gone to the dentist and didn't die... Weirdly enough, thank a Muslim for that, okay? Um, just thought I'd throw that out there. But two was the Norse god of combat, okay? Uh, Wednesday was Woden or Odin. It was originally Odin's day, who was the god of all the gods. Um, Thursday was Thor's day, okay? And then Friday was Frey, and Saturday was Saturn or Zeus. Uh, Saturn and Zeus are the same god, just different name based on the Greek or Roman Empire. So even the days of our week that we regularly use and have for centuries are named after different gods or goddesses. By the way, it doesn't mean that you worship that god or goddess. It's just the name at this point, okay? But let's just jump in here for a little bit. Asherah, Asherah, Ashtoreth, and Ashtoreth all generally considered the same goddess, 
based on the area of Canaan she was worshipped. Um, so let's look at a couple passages of scripture where she's mentioned. Go to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. We're going to do, we're going to actually use a little bit of Bible study here to prove where these gods and goddesses show up in your Bible. And again, we're not trying to give these people credit. I'm not trying to induce you to worship one of these gods or goddesses. Knowing a little bit of our history and the study of what was happening at the time of the Bible sometimes makes the accounts that God gave us a little bit more realistic and make them come alive. Jeremiah chapter 7, look at verse 18. The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto, their go unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. She's called the queen of heaven. Who else is called the queen of heaven? It's still around today. Okay, we already looked at Judges chapter 2, verse 13, where she's listed as Astra. Go backwards to Judges chapter 3. We're going to bounce around just a little bit here. Judges chapter 3, and look at verse 7, Judges 3, 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. A lot of times, looking back at what was happening in Jeremiah chapter 7, 18, uh, the children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire. These idea of a grove was the idea of a stand of trees, typically planted on purpose. Think, think like a topiary, like a nice garden, but it was all set up in a specific pattern. Um, I guess the best representation would be we all recognize the, the, the actual structure of Stonehenge, correct? Right, we actually we recognize the structure of Stonehenge. Think something along those lines, but literally live planted trees. We okay? Just they were all in a specific order, usually in a very specific shape, and they were actually meant for a couple things. Number one, the trees would be planted very, very close together, very close together, because it protected from the wind. Okay? It was it was basically an outdoor amphitheater, so it protected from the wind. And typically they used tall trees and low shrubberies because it kept all prying eyes from seeing what happened inside. You ever driven by a Jehovah's Witnesses type church? They don't have windows. And if they do, they're covered up because they don't want people to see what's happening inside of church. If you don't want people to see what's happening in your church, it's probably not a good thing. Are we okay? That's not a new concept. The idea of serving in the groves usually involved ritualistic rape of children. That's why they had it covered up. Because the worship of Ashtoreth, Asherah, whatever her name was in that particular area, was horrific. They would literally rape and kill children, boys and girls, as part of their worship. And the Israelites have now fully accepted this. Why? Because the generation before them... <clears throat> never passed on the reality of their faith. That's massive. I'm trying to be appropriate, but we need to know where this comes from, okay? Uh, we're not gonna turn there, but in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is uh, challenging Ahab and Jezebel in the worship of Baal. Jezebel being specifically a hardcore devotee to Baal, Ashtaroth is listed there because it's actually mentions two different sets of priests in that passage of scripture in 1 Kings 18 uh, through 1 Kings chapter 19. 
One of those sets of priests was a priest of Baal, the other one the priest of Ashtoreth, because the worship of the two almost always coincided. Now, an odd little note, the worship of Baal almost, almost always included male priests. The worship of Ashtoreth almost always included female priestesses exclusively. It was like a guys and girls religion. Go through the old parts of the building up in here. You'll notice most of the classrooms have not one, but three doors, oddly enough. A lot of the secondary doors have been blocked off because back in the day, I've actually got some extremely old photographs that Mr. Rancourt had somehow collected of the inside of this building from the, tur from the turn of the 19th century going right into the 1900, early 1900s. They used to have a boy's door and a girl's door in the classrooms. Boys went in and out of one door, and we're not talking restrooms, the actual classrooms. There's a big door in the middle that was for the teacher and adults, and then there was a one-foot lower door, and the doorknobs are, like, down here. They're like, I'm short, and they're a little low for me, okay? Um, and boys would go in one door, and girls would go in the other door. That's kind of where this religion kind of went. It actually started off in the ancient world as just the worship of Baal, one god, very quickly became a boy's religion and a girl's religion. That's weird. Priests and nuns. A boy's religion and a girl's religion. This stuff's not gone. It's just got new names. Are we okay? Let's jump into another section here. If you would turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 16. I'm almost out of time. We'll try to pick this up and finish this up next week. Uh, 1 Kings chapter number 16. <clears throat> uh, look at verse 29. We're going to read just a couple verses and I'm going to close up. Uh, 1 Kings 16, 29. In the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and 2 years. Ahab, again, being one of the most evil kings in all of Israel's history. And Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. So his wife's dad, his father-in-law's name is Ethbaal, servant of Baal. Remember Joshua going back to Judges chapter 2, one of the very last things that God tells us about Joshua is it literally calls him the servant of the Lord. The only handful of people in scripture that got that moniker attached to their name, meaning Joshua was such a godly, good man. Ahab's father-in-law has the same title for Baal. Okay? And went and served Baal and worshipped him, and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Remember I told you, they changed church. Ahab looked like a good guy because he built a new church when he became king. Wouldn't that be a good thing? The new king builds us a new church with a new God. And Ahab made a grove that, again, would have been for the worship of Ashtaroth because those two always went hand in hand. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. We can't change church. And that doesn't mean we have to hold on to, well, ties are that important. I'm not talking about that. We can't change this because this is where we get all of our instruction 
This is where we get all of our information. This is where we get all of our direction. The moment we change this, everything else around it changes. And we do that, and just like Judges chapter two, it's a generation, uh, there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. That will be our fault entirely. If we change church, the next generation doesn't make it. If we change how our kids view church, is church just something we do when we don't have something else going on? Is church what we do when there's something less important? Is church something we do when we don't have sports or vacations or all this other stuff? If we make church a secondary event, there's gonna be a generation that rises up that doesn't know who God is. And that, that'll be our fault. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you do for us. Lord, help us to not forget who you are.